Welcome. This is the Sean Sandifer Show, where we're building a community of free thinkers, innovators, creators, and entrepreneurs. We are a new generation of leaders and problem solvers who seek to build better communities, a better country, and a better world. Hi, everybody. Welcome to the Sean Sandifer Show. I'm Sean Sandifer, your host. It's great to be back to talk with you all. It's been a busy couple of weeks. I anticipate it will remain that way. I am officially two weeks down and 30 to go of my final year of law school. So one year to go, and I'm, I'm excited about that. I usually get you know a little bit upset about having to start school again. But this year, I felt a little bit different. I felt kind of excited, not because I really wanted to return to school and have all that pressure and work, but because it really was my my last year and I knew as soon as I got the sooner I got started the sooner that I could finish and I'm really excited to finally after nearly 25 years be done with school and the pressures of it of course learning will continue throughout my life and there'll be continuing education requirements and things like that but you won't have the regimented schedule pressures of continuous school which I've had for now seven years of higher education or, or beginning my seventh year. So I've been busy. I've been back and forth between uh, my place in Illinois and also St. Louis, living there part-time for law school. I'm, I'm a full-time law student, but I only have class four days a week. So I'm able to you know, live part-time there and part-time here. And it's been, it's been a busy time getting my apartment and everything in line and just getting back situated. We've not been back in person in the, in the, the school since March of 2020. When COVID started, other than like a few a few special times, but for the most part, everybody is back now, and we haven't all been back together since since COVID started. St. Louis is currently still under a mask mandate due to the rise in COVID cases and hospital hospitalization, so we do have to wear a mask uh, in the law school, regardless of your vaccination status. And uh, but it's 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 probably good that even though I was enjoying part of doing school online, it's probably good that we have our last year to be in person, even if it's still not quite all the way back to normal. So with that being said, I have a big episode planned today, and it's going to be titled Sean's Hot Take, Vaccines in Afghanistan. So it's a, it's a controversial, an episode of controversial topics, and I have some good material and information planned, and I haven't spoken yet really about vaccines. And a lot of people have asked me, so Sean, what's your take on vaccines? And, you know, I've put on my Instagram story certain positions against government mandates, but I haven't spoken on the vaccine issue. Um, So I'm going to be talking about vaccines in Afghanistan today, two big topics currently going on in in our news cycle, our news program. And I'm going to start with, with vaccines. So before I begin, I want to say I reserve the right to change my opinion as new information is received. I think that's really important. It, it's difficult with all the information out there, all the different media sources, this you know social media, there's a lot of information and a lot of disinformation, and it can be difficult to separate fact from fiction. Okay. In addition, the science is continually evolving and changing and being added to and as we receive new information, it's a good thing to say, okay, I'm open to changing my opinion. And so what I say on this podcast, this is where I'm at today on the issue. Could that change as we go forward? Yes, it could. 
And so a lot of people, because I lean conservative, because I'm more Republican, conservative-minded, assume that I'm an anti-vaxxer. I can just tell when they ask me the question, the way the question's going, that they think that I am likely against the vaccine. I have never said I was against the vaccine. Okay, I'll remind you, it was the Trump administration that really had the accomplishment of the medical miracle of really pushing the vaccine through along with the help of private companies. Okay, so I'm not anti-vaccine. What I am is pro-medical freedom. I'm pro-medical freedom, I'm pro-informed consent, and I'm pro-individual choice as it relates to the vaccine. Okay, so I'm not an anti-vaxxer. Now with this vaccine, it might be fair to say that I'm somewhat vaccine hesitant, and there are a lot of reasons for why someone might be vaccine hesitant, which I'll get into in a little bit, but I'm not an anti-vaxxer. What I am is strongly opposed to mandates from the government or universities. I think that it should be each person's choice and that all the information should be given. Okay, I think that the universities, the government, the, the healthcare agencies, the, the pharmaceutical companies, they should give people the information and then people should be allowed to make an informed decision with the information that's been given to them. They shouldn't be forced into it. Okay, they shouldn't be forced into putting what, although the FDA has recently approved one, at least one of the vaccines, what, what has been an experimental vaccine. It's only was, it was only approved for emergency use authorization from the FDA and people shouldn't be forced to participate in that. I, I don't agree with that at all. I don't agree with what the universities are doing. I don't agree with what the government's doing. And, you know, perhaps they should encourage, they should be encouraging the vaccine, but should they be mandating it? That's where I have an issue, the government telling telling us what to do. And, and, and of course, the counter argument to that, which I know I've seen some polls out that, which it's, this, is, goes, this goes if you believe the polls or not, but there are some polls out that saying that a majority of Americans, a majority of Americans support the, the vaccine mandates that are being put out by hospitals and private employers and the government and universities. And their argument is that the current situation with COVID and the hospitalizations is largely a pandemic of the unvaccinated and that they tried getting people to take the vaccines voluntarily, but that didn't work or enough people didn't get it. And therefore it has to be, there's no other way to end the pandemic. This is their argument, not mine. There's no other way to end the pandemic by other than forcing people to take the vaccine because if they can get to 80, 90% of people vaccinated, then their view is that likely the hospitals would you know, have more capacity and things could be, be able to open up again. Now, whether or not that's true, I don't know. Okay, and that that's why I... Um, that's why I don't believe in, in, in mandates because, you know, I was talking to somebody else today or the other day and they said, okay, well, it, is it going to be something else? Is it going to be another variant? You know, we get everybody vaccinated, but then is it going to be another variant that comes in? Are, are certain government officials and politicians going to find other ways to shut down the economy? Is it about control? And so there's a large feeling among people who tend to be more Republican-leaning, Trump-supporting rural areas. There's a, there's a big feeling of just of government hesitation, hesitation about government, hesitation to believe in government, hesitation to trust in government, hesitation to trust the media. And there's good reason for that, which I've covered in other episodes and will continue to cover. Okay. That's where that hesitation is coming from. They say, okay, so if we did get vaccinated and we had enough people vaccinated, would it, would it be something else? Okay. There's just that sense of uncertainty. And I'm not taking a position on that. I'm just describing what, what that feeling is. Okay, so, so there's people who say we need to force the vaccines because if enough people got vaccinated, our hospitals would open up and we could reopen the country. 
fully, fully back to normal. And there are other people that say, I don't, I'm not really sure about that. I'm not sure that that would work. I'm, I'm worried it would be something else. And I don't believe the vaccine's right for me. Okay. So where I'm at, just to, just to resummarize, is I'm pro-medical freedom. I think you should be able to choose whether to get the vaccine or not. I don't think it should be forced or mandated. But I would say, based on the information I have available to me today, I would encourage people, especially people who are at risk, to strongly consider getting the vaccine. I'm against the mandates, but I do think that people, especially people who are at risk, should strongly consider getting the vaccine. Okay, and the reason why I think that is let me review some data with you all. Okay, I have it in front of me. My paper is here. Okay, the hospitals have begun releasing information on their vaccinated versus unvaccinated uh, populations. And I have this data in front of me. So this is out of Evansville, Indiana, the hospital system out of Evansville, Indiana. They currently have 154 COVID positive hospitalized patients. Okay, 154. Of those, 131 have not been vaccinated and 23 have been vaccinated. Okay, 131 versus 23. Now let's go to the ICU. ICU, 55 patients, COVID patients in the ICU, 51 not vaccinated, four vaccinated. Okay, on ventilators, there's 32 total. All are not vaccinated. Okay. Champaign, Carl, Carl Hospital. 99 patients are hospitalized with COVID. 17 are vaccinated, 82 unvaccinated. In the ICU, there are 15 patients with COVID. Two are vaccinated, 13 are unvaccinated. Okay. Now closer to home, Sarah Bush Lincoln, Mattoon, Illinois, Mattoon, Charleston. There are currently 33 COVID hospitalizations and 29 or 88% of those are unvaccinated people. Four are vaccinated. Six of those 33 COVID patients are in the critical care unit and all six of those are unvaccinated. Okay, so... So those are that's all recent data from this past week, all right? And and after reviewing that information, after the hospitals have begun to release this information, and after conversations with a number of healthcare workers, workers, doctors, and nurses, I have come to conclu- the conclusion that that's that's indisputable data. Okay, that that the vast majority of people who are in the hospital, people who are severely sick and dying, are people who are unvaccinated. That's not to say that you can't be vaccinated and be in that situation. And there are a few, as I just read in the numbers, but the vast majority are unvaccinated. Okay. True. People who may be more at risk, maybe they have underlying health conditions, maybe they're overweight, maybe they're elderly, maybe they're all of the above. Maybe they had reasons why they couldn't get vaccinated. We don't know any of that. But all I know is that the vast majority of people that are sick and dying in the hospitals and taking up hospital capacity are unvaccinated, which is why my my view today is I would encourage people, especially people who are at risk, to strongly consider getting the vaccine, okay? So I'm not anti-vaccine, okay? What I am is pro-medical freedom and anti-government mandate. And that, by the way, I'm going to mention, I'm in, a, I'm in a, a law class right now called American Legal History, and it's with one of the, the most popular professors at SLU. And He's very interesting, very entertaining, and it's also a, an interesting course, a lot of subject matter. And one thing that we've talked a lot about in our first two weeks is the tradition of anti-government hesitation among American citizens, okay? It's, it's unique to our country. It's, it's not, we have a revolutionary 
sense among our among many members of our public, and that goes way back to our founding, even bef- before our founding of our country. And it's been very interesting because that sentiment is still alive and well today, as we see with this this reluctance to trust in government media and and reluctance to trust in the CDC and uh, about the vaccination. So you're seeing that. What I think is that people should take in their own information, whether they're at risk or, or you know, in, in a certain at-risk age group, if they have an underlying condition, and strongly consider getting the vaccine based on their health history. Maybe they have a allergic reaction. There's a lot of reasons why people don't want to get the vaccine or can't get the vaccine. And that's what's so frustrating to me when people try to belittle people who are unvaccinated, that there are many reasons that maybe someone would not want to get the vaccine. That's what I want to shed light on today. Something else that I want to take note note on is that there's a big misconception that when you become vaccinated, you can no longer transmit COVID. That's not, that's not what the CDC says. The CDC says, as of the most recent information that we have, is that the vaccines protect against serious illness, symptoms, and death from COVID, okay? The vaccines do not protect you necessarily from getting COVID. Maybe they do to an extent. And the primary purpose is not to protect you from transmitting it to others. So you can still transmit COVID to others even if you have the vaccines. What it does, according to the CDC, is it protects you against serious symptoms, illness, and death, okay? So there was a study that was recently published that shows that people who are vaccinated have very similar viral loads to those who are unvaccinated, okay? So there's no, there's evidence that shows that you're not necessarily protecting others when you get the vaccine from transmitting it. You may be protecting in other ways, but you can still transmit it, okay? And I'm not a, I'm not a doctor, I'm a, I'm a law student, an entrepreneur, as you know, so I'm not, I'm just repeating the information that I have received that I have in front of me, okay? And I'm gonna read you a quote so you know it's not just from me, This is a statement from CDC Director Rochelle P. Walensky, MD. Okay, here we go. Today, some of those data were published in CDC's Morbidity and Mortalities Weekly Report, demonstrating that Delta infection resulted in similarly high SARS-CoV-2 viral loads in vaccinated and unvaccinated people. High viral loads suggest an increased risk of transmission and raised concern that Unlike with other variants, vaccinated people infected with Delta can transmit the virus. Okay, that's not from me. That is from the CDC director. Vaccinated people can transmit the virus. So save the, I'm better than you because you're unvaccinated and I, therefore I'm protecting others. Well, okay, that at least, at least not in the way of transmitting necessarily. Now, there is some evidence to suggest that if you are vaccinated, maybe you are less transmissible. I don't know. Still developing. Another reason, let's wait for more information to come out before we're continually shaming other people for their views and all of that. Okay, what else do I want to say about this? Um, yeah, just I want to highlight just one more time the concerns that people have who are unvaccinated. A lot of them have previous adverse reactions to immuniz- immunizations in the past. Maybe they have allergic reactions. They have certain allergies why they can't get vaccinated. There's been a lack of time to study this vaccine compared to other vaccines in the past. The vaccine function is different than other vaccines, and I'm not going to go into that because I'm not qualified, but it's, it's, it's due to the mRNA. 
You can look up this information for yourself, talk to people who are, are more in the know than me about it. Um, but it is a, a different kind of functioning vaccine than others. There's also a number of adverse reactions and even death from the vaccines, the COVID vaccines that are underreported in the media. Okay. There have been a number of adverse reactions and bad things that have happened to people from the COVID vaccines. Now, as a portion of the total vaccines given, very small, rare, but they, they do exist and they're underreported in our media because the media doesn't want to give any information that may prevent someone from getting vaccinated. They would have arguments to justify that. Okay. I'm not, I'm not making a, a position. I'm just reporting the information that's out there. So that's all I, I have to say really about the vaccines right now. I wanted to show the data on the number of people who are unvaccinated in the hospital system. I wanted to clarify the record as I currently stay, stand right now with the information that I have, that I am pro-medical freedom, but that I do think that people should strongly consider getting the vaccine. Okay, I don't like it being, I don't like it being forced. I am not an anti-vaxxer. Let's go on the record saying that. I, I do have my concerns, some of which I just highlighted about the vaccine. So that's all for vaccines. Let me know. I'd love to hear your comments on that. Uh, message me, email me at hello, H-E-L-L-O, at theshawnsandifershow.com. You also can, you know, comment on whatever I post on Facebook, Instagram. I'd love to hear from you. Love to have feedback from you. Please share this episode on your Instagram stories. Comment on my TikTok. I'm on TikTok at Sean Sandifer. I'm, I've, been, I've been posting on TikTok more frequently than Instagram, actually. So please uh, follow me there if you don't already, at Sean Sandifer. And I'm going to be putting all this information out on there. Would love to hear from you. Let's move on to Afghanistan. The other probably major news story in addition to COVID that's really dominating our headlines. And this is a really tragic uh, situation that has unfolded in Afghanistan with the pullout of American troops from the uh, Biden administration. And so I'm going to read a quick excerpt from an article. And it says, it's titled, How Did We Get Here? Just a quick paragraph. President Donald Trump signed a peace deal with the Taliban in February 2020 as part of, a, part of an effort to end what he called the, quote, endless wars in the Middle East. He agreed to a May 1 deadline to have all troops out of the country. Biden, who says he no longer wants to risk American lives in a civil war, civil war among Afghans, kept with the withdrawal plan but extended the deadline to September. The Taliban quickly seized control of most of the country as the U.S. withdrew air support to the Afghan military. Afghans, fearing retribution and the harsh rule of the Taliban, rushed to the airport in hopes of getting out of the country. All right. That's kind of the background. So President Trump, like many of the other presidents, wanted to end the war in Afghanistan, talked about it, had set a deadline for May of this year. This was, of course, I guess, pending President Trump getting reelected to work on getting American troops out. Biden withdrew. Uh, Biden extended that deadline to September first of this year and has now overseen this catastrophic and just horrible withdrawing of American troops out of the Afghanistan. It's, it's, it's sent the region into chaos and I have a lot to say about that, but I, I want to reference the, the tragedy that's occurring there with uh, many, many people stranded and, and trying to flee the country um, now that the American presence has been withdrawn and the Taliban has overthrown the uh, Afghan government that was in place. Okay, so the Taliban has overtaken Kabul and Afghanistan. 
And this all occurred when President Biden pulled out American troops. Okay? And there was a number of mistakes that President Biden made with doing so. Now, some are going to say, well, President Trump wanted to pull out troops too. So what's, what, how would Trump have overseen it any, different, any differently? I have absolute, there is absolutely no doubt in my mind that if President Trump were still the president today, that this chaos would not have occurred. You know, this is a, this is a, this seems like a good time for some good old fashioned mean tweets, some good old fashioned fire and fury tweets. That's what we need right now. Because when Donald Trump was president, no matter what you think of him, foreign adversaries knew that he meant business. He meant what he said. When he said he would rain down fire and fury, he meant it. Okay. And yes, President Trump wanted to withdraw American troops as well, as well as other presidents. But, and he, and he probably truly planned to, but I know that if he were president today, the withdrawal of those troops would have gone totally differently. Okay. Because he was a person that was in control. He was competent and he meant what he said. And, and the adversaries believed him when he said it. So let me talk about, let me get, okay. Okay. You might have some doubts. So let me, let me give you some specifics of what the Biden administration did to help cause this disaster that's happened with the Afghan pullout. Okay. Which by the way, just this week, um, a couple days ago, prior to me recording this episode, we just had, um, an, an explosion occur, uh, by ISIS in Kabul at the, at the Kabul airport in Afghanistan, where 13 U S service members died and more than 150 Afghan civilians, uh, tragically died as well. And, and to shift gears to some of the specifics of maybe what, what went wrong here, even though the situation is still unfolding is the first mistake was that prior to evacuating and getting out certain citizens, refugees, American citizens in Afghanistan, the Biden administration closed the Bagram air base in Afghanistan. So that only left the Kabul international airport as the only exit point. Okay. So we gave up a strategic military base in Afghanistan prior to getting all of our people out. The issue with the withdrawal is that Joe Biden pulled out the military first. You don't pull out the military first. The military stays to maintain control and order. And you get out teachers and missionaries and American citizens citizens and Afghan refugees. You get people out before you facilitate the, the troop withdrawal. All right? But that's not what happened. We got we because Joe Biden had set a deadline of early September to get troops out of Afghanistan. It was like a political deadline. He wanted to achieve, have that achievement of getting the troops out. So he pulled the American troops out of the country, vast majority of them, and it stranded a bunch of people. And when the, the American military left, the Afghan government literally fled, or they fled the, the Afghan government fled and they fled the government. They fled the Capitol building. They fled the, the government centers and the Taliban came in and took over. So that was that was that was one problem is that is that the Biden administration, in addition to abandoning the, the Bagram Air Base, they underestimated the strength of the they underestimated the strength of the Afghan military and the government that was in place there. Total underestimation of, of their competence. Total lack of of foresight on that. Okay, totally incompetent. 
They pulled out our military first. They abandoned the Bagram Air Base. They underestimated the strength of the Afghan military and government that was in place there. And finally, actually, actually point number four is a lack of engagement with European allies. And the European allies had asked President Biden to extend the deadline past September to you know, allow more time for evacuation, getting people out. And the Biden administration said, no. So we have a political deadline to, to achieve here. We're going to do it. And they, I, they pretty much went in, fingers crossed. Let's hope, it, let's hope we can pull out and, and, and the Taliban, you know, the Taliban lets us, okay? Or I guess their hope was that the Afghan government that was in place prior to the Taliban taking over would be able to, was strong enough to withstand the American military presence pulling out. They were wrong on that. So big, big four points, Bagram Air Base abandonment, pulling out the military first, underestimating the strength of the Afghan military and government, and a lack of engagement with European allies who asked Biden to extend the deadline for pulling out. All major strategic errors showing a complete incompetence of the Biden administration on foreign policy. Don't even get me started on domestic policy and inflation and taxes and everything else because I could go down that route too, which is also a disaster, which was also predicted. As, 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 as the mean tweeter was horrendously character assassinated and attacked for five years, even though pre-COVID under the Trump administration, we had a, we had a bustling economy, relative peace uh, around the world. Donald Trump was projecting strength. And it would be nice to have a little bit of that back today. I want to go on that point of projecting weakness from the Oval Office, okay? I don't know President Biden personally, obviously. I really hesitate to attack politicians personally. I don't, I don't know him personally. I don't know his heart. I don't know what his intentions are. I don't know President Biden's you know, character on a personal level. And so I have no interest in attacking that. That's not what I'm here to say is Joe Biden's a terrible person, which is, by the way, what almost the entire Democratic Party and media did to Trump. But I'm not going to do that. That's not, I'm not interested in that. What I will say, and I've been saying this since, since the Democratic primaries in, began in 2019, is that Joe Biden is unfit for office. Okay, President Biden should, should resign from office because he's unfit for office. And I, and I don't say that lightly. Um, I, I believe if you, if you watch the clips of President Biden, who was then vice president 10 years ago, his, his cognitive ability at that time is, is by far and away different than what it is today. I mean, the man is almost 79 years old. I, my grandpa is, is currently um, in late stage Alzheimer's dementia, okay? So I have, I have extreme respect for, for that. And I'm not a doctor. I'm not diagnosing President Biden, but I, I do think that the cognitive decline and the, his lack of intellectual presence makes him unfit to be commander in chief. And you can just that, that's just that's just you know a prima facie case. You can just see that on on the surface of it. You can watch a video of him in 2021. You can watch a video from him from 2011. It's it's night and day difference. He's almost 80 years old, and they knew that. That's why whenever the 2020 election campaign was going on, he was hit in his basement. He hardly campaigned. And then we're supposed to believe that this guy got 83 million votes or 81 million votes, whatever it was. And you're seeing the same kind of thing. We, we can't, he, he can't get through a press conference. He can't answer questions. I mean, you know, three, four questions. 
sometimes they're coherent, sometimes they're not. And I, I, I mean this in no disrespect to the president. I mean no I mean this in no sense to, to belittle him. I mean this as a serious view of our national of, of our country's health and our national security. I, I, I really truly believe what I'm saying to you. And I think a lot of people are waking up to that and realizing that. And I think the Democratic Party knew that then. They knew that then, but they hated Trump so much that they justified putting Biden into office because in their view, anything was better than Trump. I quite frankly do not understand that view. I do not agree with that view at all. I think President Trump in many ways did a wonderful job, despite what you may say about his personality, his character, or his, uh, his office environment with a lot of people coming in and out and some not so great people around him, I will admit. All right. Couple more things before wrapping up the episode. I want to get to uh, so that's the situation in Afghanistan. A brief overview. That's my view of the of, of the politics of it. There's a uh, some some Biden approval polls are out. Forty four percent approve of Biden this week. There, uh, his his approval is absolutely plummeting. Even what's being reported by the media was saying he was somewhere in the fifties a couple weeks ago, and now he's in the the mid to low forties on approval rating. His approval index is negative by 21 points. So 24% strongly approve. 45% of the country strongly disapproves of President Biden's job approval or job performance, I should say. There's a report uh, approval poll from Suffolk USA Today that's showing President Biden at a 41% approval rating. That's lower uh, than President Trump, which I never believed the polls on President Trump. I think the media was, was um, completely biased almost completely biased and vast majority heavily democratic leaning and they skewed the polls. You saw that with the election results that came out, but um, even with the fake polls with President Trump, um, Joe Biden today is at 41% approval lower than President Trump. I'm gonna wrap this episode up. I'm gonna read a few of Trump's statements because as we also know, President Trump has been uh, banned and censored on a number of social media platforms. Unfortunately, the Taliban is still allowed, interestingly enough. So, so President Trump is a threat to society, but the Taliban isn't, according to our liberal social media CEOs um, who wish to completely censor the other side uh, politically out of national security, they say, national se security. Uh, they don't care about that. They care about power and, and only their views getting out, unfortunately. I, I, and, I, and I hope and pray that they change, they change their tune on that. And I hope the courts step in I'm going to have a podcast episode on that coming out on what court protections and legal protections may be available in the environment of social media censorship. And I'll have a, a podcast on that at some point. But let's let's read. I have four brief statements from President Trump to wrap out the episode. So here's statement number one. All happened in the last couple of weeks. Joe Biden is destroying America. His policies have created a living national nightmare. He surrendered our energy independence, sabotaged the economy, surged violent crime, caved to China, crushed our citizens instead of the virus, created the single greatest humiliation in our history in Afghanistan, stranded thousands of our citizens overseas at the whim of Islamic extremists, and left a wide open border to deadly drugs, vicious crime, and unlimited illegal immigration at home. True. Good statement. Agree. Next one. It is time for Joe Biden to resign in disgrace for what he has allowed to happen to Afghanistan. 
Along with the tremendous surge in COVID, the border catastrophe, the destruction of energy independence, and our crippled economy, it shouldn't be a big deal because he wasn't elected legitimately in the first place. Next statement from President Donald J. Trump. It's not that we left Afghanistan, it's the grossly incompetent way we left. True. Many Americans support leaving Afghanistan and pulling out from that the war, the endless wars there, but it's the, it's the way we left, which is what I discussed some of the issues that happened with the Biden administration pulling out of Afghanistan. And fortunately, people are waking up to many of these things, unfortunately, too late um, after the election has happened, and we have three and a half more years, at least. And that's if we don't get our elections, uh, our elections more secure and fair. That's another big concern that I have. Okay, last statement by President Trump. Biden's biggest mistake was not understanding that the military has to be last out the door, not first out the door. Civilians and equipment go first, and then, when everyone and everything is out, the military goes. So simple, and yet it wasn't done. Tragic. True. Civilians and equipment go first. Military last out the door. That's what President Trump would have done. I fully believe that. I fully believe if he were president, we would not be in the situation that we are today. And with that, I'll close by saying I am thanking and praying for the people in Afghanistan. I'm praying for our military. I'm thankful for their service to our country. And I, I really, truly wish and hope for the good of the country that uh, the, the Biden administration succeeds. Although I'm not optimistic of that, given President Biden's lack of presence and his, uh, history of poor foreign policy decisions. And so uh, the silver lining is that I hope that many people begin to wake up, that they were sold a bill of goods, that, you know, from, from, from Joe Biden and the Democratic Party that, are, that, that cannot be delivered. And I hope that we see some changes in the 2022 midterms and hopefully the 2024 presidential election. And I'm looking forward to continuing to be a voice on these issues, no matter the size of my platform. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to speak out on this. I think that we need more young people to speak out on this kind of stuff. We need more conservative-leaning thinkers. And I intend to be that. And so thank you all for tuning into my show, The Sean Sandifer Show. I will be back with you uh, for my next episode here in the next week or two. And like I said, I would love to hear from you. Thank you again for being a part of this community. I'm Sean Sandifer, your host. I will talk to you all again next time.